Anticipation isn't always easy. In fact, I think maybe it's never easy. And it's especially not easy when you're not exactly sure what you're anticipating in the first place. Maybe it's the first day of a new job or something even more scary like boot camp. Maybe it's a medical procedure or a surgery or a test or the first day of school and a new grade level. Whatever it is, it can really be kind of scary as that day draws near, can't it? Today is the last Sunday of our church year, which means that it's worth our time to talk about the last day of the world and universe, too. God's word is very clear that this day is approaching, and it certainly seems like it would be a scary day. I mean, how often do you actually look around and realize that this all isn't all there is, and that someday, sometime, at any moment, very soon maybe, it's all going to end. We always kind of chuckle at those people holding the signs, you know, the end is near. But while they may be wrong about a lot of things, they're not wrong about that. And it's a scary thought, and it might get even more scary as we hear Scripture describe that day. I mean, you, it's not a day you're going to miss. Jesus is going to come back, but not as a little baby in a manger far away. No, he's going to come with the clouds in all his glory, and he's going to be accompanied by all of his angels. And we all remember how people respond to seeing evil, even little glimpses of God's glory, or even just coming in contact with his messengers, the angels. They're always terrified. And it's all the more sobering when we realize what Jesus is coming back to do. We say it in our creeds. He's going to return not just as king, not just as savior, but as judge. And he's going to judge whether a person should be in heaven with him for eternity or if they should suffer in hell separated from him. How do you handle anticipating big, scary, uncertain things? I'll admit I'm not always the best at it. I can get anxious and overcome with worry. I can spend some sleepless nights, or I spend every second I can uh, obsessively trying to prepare myself as best I can, or even compulsively researching what to expect, trying to find others who have experienced that same thing and hear their stories so that I won't at least be going into whatever situation it might be blind. With something as huge as Judgment Day coming, it would be totally natural for us to be filled with worry. It would be natural for us to live our lives as a scramble of panicked preparation. We read Jesus' description of that day just now, and when we listen to what he says, we can really let go of all of that fear and anxiety and simply enjoy our time of anticipation, eagerly yearning for that day without fear. Although to be fair, there would be good cause for concern when it comes to Judgment Day. After all, Jesus is returning as king and judge, and he says that all nations, everyone who has ever lived, will be gathered in front of him. He'll separate them as easily as a shepherd could separate sheep from goats. The people who are sheep, he'll put on his right and the goats on his left. And this is all because of something that we really don't like to think about that much. We love to picture Jesus as just a friend or as someone who would never ever think to judge us, who would accept us for who we are. We like to imagine that he doesn't really care about the things that we do that are wrong because those things aren't that bad. The truth we can see is quite the opposite. There are going to be people on the last day that are so offensive to Jesus that he can't even stand to have them in his presence, and he casts them away. Those people are the people that he describes as goats. He'll turn to them and say, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not give me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. 
I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Lacking clothes, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not take care of me. Now, this isn't exactly the least familiar part of the Bible. Most of us know about the sheep and the goats. It's even part of our cultural vernacular. We know that the sheep are believers who are saved, and the goats are the unbelievers who are condemned. We know that we're the sheep in this story, but I think that there's a temptation that comes with that knowledge. How easily do you label yourself a sheep and someone else a goat? After all, I gave that $3 to a person outside of Walmart the other day, but I know that my neighbor is running around on his wife. I'm not a goat because I don't do that. I don't abuse people. I don't sleep around. I don't steal. I'm a sheep. But those aren't the kinds of things that Jesus condemns the goats for on the last day, are they? No. He condemns them for failing to take care of the least of these. Because when they've failed to do that, to clothe someone who was naked, to feed someone who was hungry, to help someone who was sick, to visit someone who was in prison, they failed to do it for him. Aren't we guilty of the same exact kinds of failures, same kinds of lack of love? Maybe our time in between really should be a time of frantic public service, frantically helping as many people as we possibly can, not motivated by anything other than desperate self-preservation, though. I think not, because the goats aren't the only group receiving a verdict on the last day. There are sheep as well, and they're, in fact, the ones who get their verdict first. Before the goats are sent away, Jesus says to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was lacking clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. It's interesting to see that the reaction of those who will be judged innocent and those who are condemned are practically the same. Both groups are shocked. Both groups ask Jesus to clarify exactly what he means. When did we see you in need and help? The righteous ask. When did we ever fail you? The condemned say. Both groups agree, basically saying, I don't deserve this fate. But even though their responses are so very similar, they reveal completely different mindsets. And this in turn shows us exactly how Jesus determines who is righteous on the last day and who is not. And, spoiler alert, it's not based on their works, really, or what they've done. Let's start again with the people on the left whom Christ condemns on the last day. When he announces his judgment on them, they protest. What did we ever, when did we ever fail to help you? They want Jesus to look at their works. They want Jesus to see that they never did anything so bad. They even maybe imply that their punishment is maybe Jesus' own fault. If you had just shown yourself, I would never have let you down. Obviously, now I can see that you're God, and I wouldn't have failed you if I had known it then. If you had just shown yourself to me, this is on you. You can't hold me accountable. Self-righteousness flares up in this way, and they argue that they haven't ever done anything to deserve this kind of punishment. They're just doing the best they could. But when Jesus points to their lives as evidence that they deserve condemnation and hell, they argue. The opposite, they say, is true, and they say that their lives show that they don't deserve punishment. But they're wrong. Since he is God and ruler over all things, any offense done to anyone, even ourselves, even thoughts that break God's divine will, any failure at all is an offense directly against God. Our failure to love others is evidence of our failure to obey him. And even though the condemned argue that they never knew or that they weren't that bad, 
their lives show the opposite. The truth is anyone's life would show this. No human's life under a microscope can live up to God's demands. In contrast, the people on the right, whom Christ declares righteous, are flabbergasted too. They're flabbergasted that they are receiving this reward of eternal life in heaven despite what they have done or said in their lives. They're well aware that their lives are far from perfect. They're well aware that their failures to love others show their weakness and their guilt and that they deserve nothing but punishment. So when Jesus points to their lives as evidence that proves to him that they are righteous, they're stunned. When did we ever do anything good for you? They ask. It's painfully obvious to them that they don't deserve it. This is when you receive that way too generous gift and you tell the person, no, this is, this is too much. Do you see the difference between the righteous and the condemned? There's really only one difference that could make people have such similar and yet opposite reactions. That difference is faith. That's why Christ has so little trouble separating the sheep from the goats or the righteous from the condemned. He's looking at one thing, really, and one thing alone, whether or not that person has faith in him. That's it. That's all. Faith is what makes all the difference, and Jesus points to the outward actions of believers as evidence of their faith, and the outward actions of unbelievers as evidence of their lack of faith. It's really black and white to him. But this is good news for you and me, because it means that we don't have to worry. It means that we don't have to be afraid. It means that we don't have to wonder what our judgment is going to be. Just think how amazing this is. I mean, I can't even imagine how nerve-wracking it would be to have to anticipate going on trial in front of a judge and jury. But the truth is, we actually all are waiting for our court date, and not before any old judge and jury in, of the United States, but Jesus himself. But because of this same Jesus, you already know the verdict. You actually already have the inside scoop from the judge himself. Here, he's telling you exactly what to expect. As you anticipate the day, you don't have to wonder at all about what's going to happen. Think about how much of a relief that would be, even for just a trial at the county courthouse. You're standing outside the courtroom, nervously going over your defense with your lawyer, hoping it's going to be enough when the judge himself comes over and says, Listen, I don't want you to be nervous. Here's exactly how things are going to go inside. You're going to come in, and I'm immediately going to declare you innocent. You won't even need to plead your case. You're leaving this courthouse a free person. What a relief. All the fear and nervousness would melt away. That's exactly what Jesus is telling you here. And this is why the last day is a day to eagerly anticipate, not one to dread. That's why we celebrate the last judgment rather than living in fear. Because the one who will judge us is Jesus, and he's told us exactly how our trial will play out. We're going to come to life. Along with all the other people on earth, we're going to be gathered before him to be judged. And then we're going to receive our verdict not guilty. Even though you feel like you don't deserve it, not guilty. Even though you've done so many things that deserve his anger, not guilty. Even though you could never earn his favor, not guilty. Even though you can list easily all the times that you've failed to love others the way you should, not guilty. You get to look forward to Judgment Day with a totally free confidence, total confidence, because you're going to walk out of God's courthouse a free person with nothing but eternal life and joy and peace and safety ahead of you. And more than that, even God himself, your savior and your friend, Jesus, he's going to commend you 
Judgment Day isn't scary or worrisome at all. Jesus told you exactly what to expect. Your judge has already predicted. He's already called his judgment. You have nothing to fear. And that completely changes the time in between for us. You see, if we know what's going to happen, why do we have to worry about it? In fact, we get to look forward to it, eagerly anticipate this day when Jesus is going to give us a pat on the back that he earned, but that he wants to give you. And he's going to welcome you to the inheritance that he earned, and you simply get to receive. And he's going to welcome you into eternity. What a joy that is to know that changes everything right now, because knowing that, you just look forward to it. You don't have to fear it. You don't have to worry. And in the meantime, you can see all the opportunities to love your neighbor and love Jesus through him. Not because of any sort of desire to earn or earn reward or, or steer away from punishment, but simply because you know that last day is one to eagerly anticipate. Amen.